0: Welcome to another episode of The Corner Booth, the official podcast of restaurantowner.com and Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine. Today, the restaurant industry is changing faster than ever. Learn from successful independent restaurant operators and other industry leaders as they share
1: best practices that will help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business. Here are your hosts, Barry Schuster and Chris Tripoli. And welcome to another episode of Corner Booth. I'm Chris Tripoli.
2: And I'm Barry Schuster, editor of Restaurant Startup and Growth Magazine.
1: And today we've got Mr. Brian O'Neill joining us. Brian is a veteran of the industry. He's gonna share his story from his home in Austin, Texas. So Brian, thank you so much for joining us here on the Corner Booth. Welcome.
0: Thank you. Happy to be here. It's a lovely day here in Austin.
1: Good, good, good. Well, maybe you could kind of explain to the listeners a little bit about your background. What was the interest in hospitality? What drew you to the craziness of our industry in the first place?
0: You know, I think for me, my family, at least my dad's side of the family, has always been in the hospitality or just on the outskirts of it. My grandmother was basically the head chef, head cook of a very wealthy family in Manhattan. I think she had like a staff of six, seven people. My grandfather was a seal test milkman. I think he had the last horse-drawn cart in New York. Nice. They were kind of like an American upstairs-downstairs kind of story, but they were downstairs. And my dad went to work for IBM. They got him out of that business and he always had a hankering. So at one point or another, he was able to put, three pretty successful diners out of business in the New York, New Jersey area. So in some respect, I always felt like I would try to make up for that skip the generation in the restaurant business. I went to school to be a history teacher. When I got out of school, I had always worked in the restaurant business my way through college, you know, like a lot of people did but I always kind of had the management, I think ownership bug even back then. So when I had an opportunity to teach school and make, I think, you know, like $15,000 or stay in the restaurant business as a bartender and probably still making like 21, I just kind of stayed in that lane and I just never left. I never left. So that's kind of how I got in. And You know, I've never really had a hankering to do anything else or be anything else. I think at some point or another, everyone in this business is like, had it, this is enough, the life, the feet, the back, the staff, I'm not gonna do this anymore. And sometimes you get out of it and try something else i remember i think i did it for a half a summer here in austin i was working at a rental paddleboard shop on ladybird lake and it became very apparent like what are you doing it's time to get back to work i told my friends i'm retired out of the restaurant business and they all said well that'll last and that didn't last at all and got back into it so i think If you get it in your blood, then it's in your blood, just like, you know, any other business that people are passionate about that maybe we as restaurateurs don't necessarily understand. How could they do that for a living? I think a lot of people look at us that way as well. So I think that's kind of how I got in and I've just stayed in and I started when I was 18 and really, I guess I worked at my parents' diner when I was like seven or eight washing dishes. Having my dad said, Brian, you can't eat off of the plate. And I'll be 60 this year, you know, so I've been doing this one way or another my whole life. And I've been lucky and blessed that I've done well. So that's kind of my background, or at least my passion of how I got in.
2: So tell us about your current concepts. Give us a run through about what you're doing, where they are. So about three years ago, I became aware of a Texas kind of institution in the hill
0: country, just outside of Fredericksburg place called Alamo Springs Cafe that had opened roughly 18 years before and opened up just as a general store that maybe they were cooking burgers just to kind of make ends meet next to Old Tunnel State Park, the smallest state park in Texas. And there's a bat population of about 3 million. So not nearly as many bats as are in Austin, but a lot of bats. And that business started to grow slowly, slowly, slowly every year. The owner owned the 10 acres of land that the restaurant was on. As it slowly started to grow, it started to gain a reputation for the burgers. And eventually, Texas Monthly did one of their top 50 burgers in Texas. The restaurant got listed, but more importantly than even the ranking number three that it got, it became the cover. So it was on that cover. And basically, you know, it's like anything. If you score something like that, well, then the Hill Country reporter comes and then USA Today says, OK, well, that you know, and it just kind of took on a life of its own. So the restaurant at that point just kind of exploded. The Hill Country, which has always been popular, became more popular. That park, they put some money into the park. And Fredericksburg just continues to grow and grow and grow. And then as Fredericksburg grow, well, you have people come out there. And, you know, there's only so much to do in Fredericksburg. You can only go to so many wineries and you can only walk up and down Main Street so many times. So why not take a beautiful drive out into the hill country? You can see bats have what some people say is the best burger in Texas. So, you know, and if we know if it's the best burger in Texas, then maybe it's the best burger in the country, which means maybe it's the best burger in the world. I don't know. But, you know, that's what people say. Mm -hmm. I like your thinking. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you the truth. You know, um, you know, I've been blessed to be around a lot of really great uh, restaurant minds. So one of the first things I did, and and it, it's wonderful when you have the cover of buying something that's been around for a long time. And so you can basically take something. And I said, well, I think this is the best burger in Texas. We changed all of the logos and all the the, the menus. And it's not egotistical on my part. I'm like, well, no, I you know, I'm not claiming credit that I did it. You know, I'm claiming credit that I bought it. So it's, it's not really a brag. All you're doing is saying, listen, this is why I, you know, this is why I did this. And it's unbelievable just saying best burger in Texas. How many people feel the need to then see if it is the best burger in Texas. And when you're lucky enough, you know that maybe it is maybe, but at least people will at least mention it in a conversation. So that's, that's been very, very, helpful, especially, you know, when we got, when we got to COVID, um, you know, and, and, you know, the the kind of the pivot is, you know, taking this business and, and saying, okay, we're out here in the Hill Country, we have 10 acres, and we're gonna, we're gonna do some things and making those plans. And then, of course, you know, one day, I looked at a press conference, and and Governor Abbott basically said, Brian O'Neill, you need to close your restaurant and figure out what you're going to do. So we we were really lucky in as much as we used to be. So when you talk about change, we were a restaurant that was um, server driven. Um, Your server come up to the table. So basically, we just kind of I I didn't to be honest with you. I I, you know I'd only owned the restaurant for um, a year, um, a little over a year. So the thought of, of all of this happening in the first year was really scary. I really did not know what we were going to do. I really didn't. Um, and then, you know, then just, you know, survival starts to kick in in your mind and you say, okay, what, you know, what are we going to have to do? You know, we were too small. Um, we were too small to do some things and too big to do others. So what we decided to do was basically take, The parking lot outside turned it into a large outside dining area, basically take all the internals, you know, the dumpsters and and the outside grease. And we moved that all to another piece of the property and just enlarged the property, uh, got tables and chairs. Um, We had a, a stage that was closed and we tore out two parts of the stage. So the stage opened up to that parking lot area. Um, you know, we were really lucky that, uh, the county basically loved the idea, anything to get people outside. Cause remember at that point, it was still kind of winterish and they didn't want people inside and, um, they were great. Uh, we, we, we filled out the paperwork to get our full liquor license. So we could start doing like margaritas cause we used to be beer and wine. Um, and we just, um, just started towing the line. And then be, at that point, because so many places that were only had inside dining were closed or their their seating capacity was so small. Well, our seating capacity went up by over 200 seats outside. So, you know, we weren't using the inside. We were taking advantage of the outside. We were very lucky, blessed that over the past two years, except for like the snowpocalypse that we had here in Texas last year. The weather's been incredibly mild. It's It's been colder the past two weeks in Texas. And I remember it being that cold all last year except for the one week. Um, even after that snow apocalypse, the temperature immediately went back to like 85 degrees. So we got very, very lucky. In the meantime, what it allowed us to do was to kind of really focus And I've seen this in so many restaurants, especially old established restaurants that had a history of doing things properly and correctly, but maybe they got big and because they got big, they kind of pushed their boundaries and things got a little wobbly. And what we were able to do is say, okay, listen, we're really gonna concentrate on really truly trying to be the best burger in Texas. You know, Instead of that just being a line, like what do we have to do? really allowed us to start to concentrate on service and the way the place looked and the quality of the food. And, you know, as sometimes places, their menus become so big and cumbersome don't do anything right. And we just kind of focused back on, okay, let's be a burger restaurant. And then we can add back in, you know, fish on Fridays and let's go back to steak night. And now let's do the, you know, chicken fried steaks so that now the menu has kind of come back together and we've just been really lucky we got TripAdvisor. um we got this 21 award of excellence which they give to the top 10 percent of restaurants in america um you know we're, we're we just keep on moving up the ranks of all these of all these little awards and i'm shocked that so much of it is about service you know it's about service it's the thing we worked on so hard when i first bought the restaurant and really kind of helped, truly helped when, when, when I was about to use my John Wayne, but when, but when, you know, when the trouble hit, uh, that we had a, a rock solid staff and we had core culture values, you know, that like we looked out for each other and, and it was just really, really, truly helpful getting us through this. And I'm just really excited that, you know, we're, we're about to hit our slow time, which is, you know, it's Friday. I'm, able to do this with you on a friday um you know it, we're kind of a seasonal restaurant that isn't very seasonal because we haven't inside the problem for us is we'll get so busy what do you do with people when you don't have the room inside it's kind of it's it's, it's a it's a wonderful problem to have but yet is it still is a problem i just think that the way the country is moving and and hopefully we've got this you know we've got this COVID on the run that you know this spring I really believe that, you know, the country's going to open up and, and whole, I'm really excited about that. That's that's what we've been doing.
1: Wow, well, you you hit so many points there that uh, were right on target. Um, I really, really like the way you you were able to be flexible, still provide service, but go outside. You had the opportunity that I know many others are probably shaking their heads, saying that they didn't have you know, a space large enough, they probably just had a little sidewalk cafe, they weren't able to increase capacity that much. But in addition to that, you were really smart with the way you pivoted to the menu, the, the the idea of the liquor so that you could do the liquor to go, you know, but what I'd like to do is back up a little bit, if you wouldn't mind and share with us before COVID, the fact that you took a very well established restaurant, it was 18 years, I think you said in operation before you purchased it. And if you wouldn't mind, Um, if you would walk the listeners through, basically, how did that come about? And the reason I'm asking is because I know many people feel like that's what they want to do. It might be easier if they could buy a existing business. So how did you find a that first off it was available? And was it easier to purchase an existing uh, business because of financing? Or were there some obstacles because of things that transfer or things that don't? And tell us a little bit about how that transaction came down. So, I think
0: um, everyone's journey is going to be a little bit different, right? And 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 you know, opportunities come and opportunities go, and then you know, there's there's what your dream is. Um, and me being a little bit older and in this business, you know, it the the personalness of it was this. I am like I told you, I'm going to be 60 this year. And as you grow older in this business, you know, you have, you know, you have a physical, you know, you can only do this for so long. So for me, I had a very good job, but in the restaurant business, you know, how many, how many places out there really have pension plans? How many places out there really are doing 401ks? You know, a lot of places you'll have a shelf life. And for me, I just said, if I'm going to do this, I need to have my own place. And if I have my own place, the one thing that I don't want to do is work for a landlord. So for me, in my, where I'm at age-wise and where I was at as far as career, I wasn't gonna open a restaurant unless I was gonna get the dirt, right? Okay. Like, so, because that is the ultimate retirement plan, right? If you're young in your thirties, cause you know, I mean, unless you're really lucky and have a lot of money, And then you have a bunch of partners. So, how much do you really own? You know, the opportunities are really going to come for restaurateurs, you know, who own private restaurants, which I think is what we're talking about here. It's probably going to come in their late 20s, early 30s. And if you have the opportunity to have the dirt, then that helps you with financing for starters. Because, you know, whether you have investors or a bank, you can say, look, you know, I, I have the dirt. So if, if the restaurant doesn't work out, there's something there. But if you do have the dirt and it works out, well, there's a pretty good chance once you pay off the mortgage, that then you're paying yourself. So being in control of the property one way or the other is, is, a, is a really great thing to have. And that was something I was looking for. Okay. You know, there's in, in the restaurant business, I, I had an old boss who always says you're always looking for an w- one or two unfair advantages, right? So if you can find, you know, the great location that nobody else has, or if you own the dirt, or let's say that you find a wine, you know, that, that you're able to sell at a really, you know, you can buy cheap and sell high, you know, our one of our unfair advantages right now is the fact that, the particular ground beef that we make our burgers from is, is is not very expensive. We use an 80-20 fine grind chuck from a, from the same uh, ranch that we've been getting it from. Price of that ground chuck right now, yeah, went up a little bit in COVID, but it has come down and stayed down. That is my unfair advantage. Every time I sell chili cheese fries or chili or a cheeseburger or I'm going to make meatloaf, man, that's, you know, life is good. You know, I'm, I'm happy to sell everything as we sell, but you know, when we're selling onion rings and French fries, you know, and, and, you know, Lone Star beer, you know, life is great. That that's a great plan. So that for me was what I was looking for as I was trying to figure it out. And I just said, I'm not going to do anything until that opportunity opens the door. And, and Chris, it was really just as simple as an email that I got from a realtor in San Antonio who said, iconic Hill Country restaurant, 10 miles. out." And as soon as I read 10 miles outside of Fredericksburg, I knew what restaurant it was. Um, you know, and then it was a matter of, you know, reading the ad, signing the confidentiality agreement. The guy didn't want anybody to know the restaurant was for sale. You know, walk in the dirt figured out, you know, if the sales were true, if they were true sales, um, you know, looking looking at uh, tax returns, um, you know, doing your due diligence of driving up there, you know, driving up there on a Monday, driving up there on a Thursday, driving up there on a Saturday, seeing what it looks like with clothing, when nobody's around, going to the toilets, you know, looking at the kids and seeing as much of the kitchen equipment as you can see, um, you know uh, driving around the neighborhood, trying to figure out what the demographic is, you know, looking at the local real estate, looking at what other restaurants do. I mean, like those are the things that you should do when you're thinking about buying a restaurant that it's, that's already existing, but it's also the things that you should do when you're thinking about buying or or opening a restaurant in general, you should be parking your butt on, on that street corner and looking at the people who walk by. If you're going to open up a breakfast restaurant, you want to make sure there are people there who want to have breakfast. If you want to open up a place that's going to do lunch, well, where's everybody in the neighborhood go to lunch? And if you want to open up a dinner place, you know, like who lives in the neighborhood? So it's just that due diligence of, of figuring out that your hood, the hood that you're going to be in, whether it's established or not.
2: Yeah. And you were fortunate enough in this situation to find someone who not only wanted to sell the business, but also the real estate as well, rather than saying, hey, I'll say the business, but I'm going to be your landlord now. Um, So, and and I really can appreciate, you know, the value of um, the location, the ability to at a time when indoor dining was highly restricted. So the financial part of that really um, impressed me. But I was hanging on every word that you said when you're describing your concept. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, "Okay, this this is a super competitive market. Hamburgers, meatloaf, fries, onion rings. And where's the secret sauce? Where's the secret sauce? And I'm thinking, well, you know, all that stuff travels well. So you just basically rocked it with takeaway and then you say it was service and now you got my attention particularly in this market and as a question for for both you brian and chris is that the secret sauce
0: look i think it's part of the secret sauce right i mean if you have great service and, and the food's not good well Okay, then you're just a nice guy in a crappy restaurant. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, but, But that being said, if you have great service and you have great food and the bathrooms are clean and you got parking, right, which to me is part of location, then you are playing with some good stuff.
2: Tell me about the food, because that, I mean, you get the best burger in Texas, super competitive market. I'm going to go in the restaurant business, but I got to do something different. I got to do something nobody else is doing. And you come into one of the most competitive menu (laughs) items in the world. And now people are lining up because it's just that good. How do you do that? I don't, you know, I guess...
0: My answer to that question would be, sometimes it is about the old adage, location, 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 right? Because there are places that are doing great food and have great service in bad locations and they don't work, you know? So I think in in this place in particular, it was the combination of the one and the two the location was great, the food was great, and I feel like the thing that I added, the secret sauce that we added, was the service. And and when I first bought the restaurant, you know, there was an attitude at the place that was like the food was great, it's very busy. They were trying to jam 10 pounds into a five-pound bag. And and because of that. If it got shaky, they went for that crazy Dick's last resort kind of service where they could be, you know, like rude to you. The problem was sometimes they were really rude, you know, (laughs) like it it wasn't it wasn't like that. It was like that. And it took me that first year to just weed those people out like it was appalling to me. And, you know, there were you, you just have to lead by example. You know, I mean, you just you just have to say that's not acceptable. We're going to be nice to people. You know, it's somebody's birthday or their anniversary. You know, you give them. You know, you give them uh, dessert. There are cute kids in in the place. You want to go talk to cute kids. I, I I really think that you honestly have to love it. If you don't love it, then how can you lead people? how are people going to follow you if, if if you're not buying into that yourself? And I just, I personally love that. I mean, I was, you know, I would, I, I, I was there today at the restaurant and, and in the midst of being at the restaurant today, we had a, a, a funeral party show up out of nowhere. And it was crazy because I, I drove at, you know, this little, this little, um, this little, um, grave site right by the restaurant. I drove by and, and, you know, there were 10 cars out there and I'm like, Oh, somebody, God, I, I, didn't, I hadn't see, ever seen anybody at this gravesite before. And, you know, an hour after I got to the restaurant, these guys all show up and their pickups and their, their Stetsons. And, you know, and uh, I was like, you know, sit down and halfway through come to find out there at the grave site. So, you know, you have to go kind of try and cheer those people up or at least talk to them Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, it's, there's no school. So you got kids running around the restaurant. If, if you don't enjoy that talking to those people and being part of that and be a part of all those emotions in a restaurant, which is a gathering place, you know, restaurants are gathering places
1: Yeah, and you shouldn't be doing. It. Barry, what Brian's making me uh, think of, and I hope the listeners are making note of is that, um, no matter how unique, say, certain things are, or how overthought or uh, creative maybe menus get, um, that it's still a simple business that has to be done in a friendly manner every single day. Um, and so here we've got a situation where you've got a very unique location and a well-established Texas landmark. But instead of resting on its laurels, it's taking a fairly simple menu. I know it's burgers and chicken fried steak and fries and onion rings, but making sure that they're absolutely positively excellent. And then making sure that people feel like, hey, you know what, we can't rest on the fact that it's a unique location. Our service still has to be the best. So that, you know, that's kind of the the trifecta there. Because typically, when you go to these unique, say, locations, um, a lot of times you've got a beautiful view, or you've got a lot of history. And then, and then you're, I don't know whether you want to or not, you're accepting sort of a mediocre experience. Um, and I mean, I've had that on a lot of my travels and I bet a lot of listeners will say that too. Sure, I went to a famous place and it was really nice to look at and I sat down and had a mediocre meal. Yeah. Um, so what I'm learning today is that you don't have to accept that. You, um, have a good location, but have a highly rated, one of the best in the state menu items and don't rest on your laurels make sure that the servers know they have to deliver great service every day so my hat's off to you and
0: the cooks too you know i mean like you know there's some stuff you've got to you know you just have to trust your 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 men and your women in the kitchen as well um you know whether you know we do this we do this dish uh called a fried avocado now I'm sure, I don't know where the original owners clipped it from, but they clipped it from somebody. And they take, they basically used to take uh, an avocado, cut it in half, and they would just basically take burger and, and, you know, onions and kind of grill them and then jam it in there. And then they would melt cheddar cheese and then wrap it and then put that in flour and then deep fry it, right? You know, it's just like... (laughs) And, and i had it and i'm like okay i i get how people could would like this but i think we can do better and like i said you know we we have incredible chili so i'm like well let's fill it with chili instead of using this orange cheddar which doesn't melt real well let's use monterey jack which i think will melt better and the response was like amazing like we don't know what you did to make it better but this thing that we love tastes a little bit better you know the onion rings we just added more we mo- added more pepper and a little more basil which is the secret recipe in it and people like we don't know why but it's better instead of using canned buttermilk I, we found not only was it did it taste better but it was cheaper to get real buttermilk you know and and like when you look at recipes that are old and basically handwritten to a point where they, and they they were so beat up they're like, sometimes I couldn't even read what it was. You just said, well, I think this is what it was, but let's add this to it as well. And then you got to get get people to buy into that, you know, and we are just, you know, we're, we're, we're lucky that, you know, we have cooks that have now been with us, you know, for upwards of, of two, two and a half years, which, in you know, the restaurant business, you know, it's, it's like dog years. So, you know, basically you got to cook for two and a half years. You basically have had them for almost four. You know, and, and through the COVID, um, we've been we we've, we've just been really lucky, lucky, lucky. Um, but you know, if you're a back of the house guy, then you've got to trust that whoever's running your front of the house is gonna have your back. And if you're a front of the house guy, which I'm predominantly a front of the house guy, I mean I can I can jump back there and fry and cook with the best of them, then you gotta then you gotta trust your guy. So if it a lot of it is just you know, getting a team buy into what you're trying to do. And some of that is, you know, some of that is 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 based upon money, you know, you're paying people, so you've got to pay them well. But the other part is is, you know, how you treat people and 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 and, and really building culture. I'm a, I'm a big fan of culture. I used to be a big fan of training. It used to be, you know, it seems to me like a number of years ago all you heard about was training, training, training. Well, if you train people, if you train them correctly, then everything's going to be okay. Well, yeah, I buy that. But before you train them, you got to hire them, and you know. So it all, you know, that that first piece of like hiring the right people, and then explain to them what you're trying to accomplish. Even it's even if it is fries and onion rings and cold mm-hmm. beer, you know, it, it it's it's important. I think it's important. It's what I believe in.
2: Chris, I I hope everybody's listening to this carefully because, you know, at least I tend to start these conversations off with okay, let's figure out the calculus of the success, the menu, the location, the numbers, the marketing. And invariably, it gets down to people and passion. But, you know, from there, Brian, you jump off the passion seems to lead you in a mindset of continual incremental growth. How do we make it just a little bit better every day? And then when you're talking about low turnover, that speaks right to your bottom line. Um, but Chris, it, it, every operator we talk to is successful like Brian. It always gets back down to people and passion. Yes.
1: I think you're right. I think you're right. You know, you're. Uh, it might start out differently, but yeah, there's one Uh, commonality in success, whether it's, say, the fine dining or the fast casual, and it's is—it's a people business. Um, So if the uh, people listening don't have a passion for that, they're not going to lead by example, as Brian has said now a couple of times. If they're not really passionately connected, people aren't going to grab on. They're not going to follow. And it all starts and ends with people. Uh, I think the success that Brian is having uh, I think is wonderful because he's, he's walked into an established environment. So, you know, there's almost an uphill battle because you've got people that were there and, you know, in the back of their mind, they're thinking, why does this guy want to rethink what we've been doing? You know, we've been doing it for years. It works. We're busy. So why does this guy want us to rethink it? I'd like you to speak to that a little bit, Brian. how did they, how did you get the buy-in? For them to say, "I'm going to follow this guy because he wants me to do my job better." So,
0: for starters, in many respects, I didn't. You know, I mean, I didn't. I, I mean, it was a small staff, but there's not many of them still left. And 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 let me say this: it went beyond. Um, it went beyond the staff when I first started. Um, this guy put a, a post on Facebook. That said, first the Californians bought Whataburger, then a New Yorker bought Alamo Springs Cafe. What's this country coming to? <laughs> and, and and you know I, I I laughed and then I was hurt and then I laughed again and I was like okay I I I think I see I think I see what I I'm dealing with here and when the restaurant first opened it was a better version of a biker bar that's did burgers and, and, you know, I would come every day and I would say, number one, I'm not a biker. So it's hard for me to relate to that yet. I did indeed buy the place. So the first thing I did was really clean up where they parked their motorcycles. Cause it, 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 it they, there was a, there was a spot for the motorcycles. So I established, okay, number one, I don't want to lose these people, but the reality is, I've got people coming here asking me for kids' menus. I've got people coming here asking for gluten-free buns. I've got people here asking me for gluten-free beer. I've got people saying, I understand that you carry Lone Star, but, but Real Ale is in Blanco County over there, and they serve this great IPA. Like, can we get that too? Oh, and by the way, this wine selection is awful. You know, what can we do about that? And the old mentality was, like it or lump it. So we just basically said, okay, how can we put incre- uh, a, ba- a baby changing station, right? Like a, a diaper changing station, you know, dog bowls and biscuits. The, I, I'll tell you, the one of the biggest things that we've done over the past year was, getting dog bowls and biscuits and, and, a, and a, a big uh, um, cooler for water for dogs. People love their animals, which I know you guys know. People love their dogs. And if you can create an environment where people feel comfortable with their dogs, man, that's that, that, that's a section that's amazing. All we did was we, we got some um, slider buns, and we started making sliders for kids, cheeseburgers. I'm looking at the demographic, you know, like when I step out of that, you know, of, of like, okay, we've, we're staffed. We got food. We're ready to go. Okay. You know, like, okay, I'm tired. I don't have to fight with anybody with about a mask just today. Uh, what can I look at the business and how can we grow it? You know, just doing a kid's menu was amazing. It was just amazing doing a kid's menu. And, and what it opened up And that's our future, you know, I mean, like you're looking, sometimes you look at your business and you're saying, you got to look, you you can't be looking here so much. Sometimes you got to look behind and say, how am I going to get more people, new people to come? So that's, that, um, that was a big, real big deal for us is saying, you know, like some of these people aren't going to come along. And then, you know, the great thing that kind of separated the wheat from the chafe was, was COVID for us is masks you know we there was a mask mandate we decided to follow it um you know and and i made people wear masks and there was a group of people that just said we're not wearing them we're not coming the things people said to me i couldn't believe it you know the the language that was used you know i mean like no and i mean the, the the nicest thing i could say that somebody called me was was a communist and i'm like that just doesn't even make any sense you know Um, so, you know, change is, change is hard. And when I worked at the Russian tea room, my boss used to say to me, what we have to do is look out for the dirt, but respect the dust. And if you think about that, it makes a lot of sense. You know, like dust is the past. Dust is history. Dirt is dirt you know? And, and when I walk around that place all the time, when I buy a new piece of artwork, I always think about like, how is it going to, how is it going to fit in here? You know, if we get, if we get a new neon and, and I'm like, well, I could get rid of that. No, I can't get rid of that. That's got to stay. That's important. There's history there. So I, I think you always have to respect the past in a place like Alamo Springs cafe or any place that somebody was thinking about buying, but you can't be afraid to implement, the things that you need to do to make the business better and to help push it towards the future. Otherwise, you know, you can get stuck and and we've all been to those places that, that look like they're from the past and they really are because the menu hasn't changed. Nothing's changed. Nothing's at all. Um, I think that's been one wonderful thing about COVID for a lot of businesses is that it's allowed them either because they have to, where they want to, to think about who they are and and what they want to be, and and I, I love that. I love talking to people about that.
2: You know, um, what's interesting here is that you know you you, you grasped um, a really important trend. If you go to any brew pub anywhere I live, uh, you're going to see kids running around and people bringing their dogs. Um, particularly younger parents, millennials love that. That's what they do. You're not the first operator i've spoken to in fact i consulted to one guy who had kind of a his base he bought a place the base um customer group were 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 bikers good old boys he wanted to bring more families in but the vibe was people slinging f-bombs and high-fiving and playing darts and everything he how did how did you make this transition culturally without losing losing your bikers who you still wanted to come by, but still making it the place where I can bring my toddler and my whatever dog and have my hamburger with my family. Well,
0: you know, there are subtle things like music. You know, when I bought the restaurant, they were playing seventies rock. You know, I mean mm-hmm. and, and I made the decision. We're in the hill country. People are driving out here we're going to give them an authentic experience so instead of having rock bands we got one guy singing luke and bach texas you know well and mm-hmm. Willie and the boys and that was the music that you heard and then you came inside mm-hmm. um, you know like i said uh you know a changing table you know that the, they didn't like that like the, the the bikers didn't like even seeing that they don't like they didn't like seeing the kids but we never alienated them they made decisions on their own, like, man, this place, you know, now it's owned by a New Yorker who's putting baby changes and I don't want to hear Willie. I can do that anywhere. Well, you can't do that anywhere, but that's what you're going to have here. So I think you, you re, again, you respect the past, um, but you just keep making the changes. They didn't like seeing a kid's menu. You know, uh, they had either raised their kids or they didn't have any kids, you know, and and, you know, and, and again, you know, you you say bikers and it's a pot, but it doesn't mean, you know, I mean, there's a conception of what a biker is. But, you know, right. you're also, you know, I mean, like, listen, there there's 30 guys who are all lawyers, you know, who are coming in from, you know, from from Austin. But they don't want to see kids either you know they're 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 making believe that they're you know they're on their hogs you know that they're the hell's angels you All know right. they, they don't they don't want that
2: and, and there's plenty of places that you can find that
0: i just couldn't get my head around the fact that here you had a state park next door that people were coming to there were bats so people were coming at nighttime. it was a very big part of the business the people who came pre-bat and post-bat and they were families and you just needed to welcome them because they're the future right like mm-hmm. you know we're all getting older and and you know again I, I you know not to not to talk about me personally too much but but i have really been lucky you know i i worked in boston at uh the bull and finch pub which became cheers you know, that had a fine dining restaurant, just like in the television show that was open for 20 years before I got there. You know, I was mm-hmm. part of a place that had a history. You know, when I worked at the Russian Tea Room, they were there for 60 years before I got there. You know, they I was I was. Part of that machine. When I went to work at the Hard Rock, they had already been open. You know, there was already a 25-year shirt. They weren't waiting for Brian O'Neill to help them. You know, that, that I was part of of the thing that helped move them. You know, I mean, I don't know how many, you know, strategic decisions I made at any one of those places. I might have made decisions during a shift that might have had somebody come back or helped keep it moving on. But all of those places, you know, in one way, shape, or form, are still around. And they are because their core values, what, what keeps them going. And I think that's really important too. I you know, we, we didn't really talk about that. I think it's really important that whether you buy a place that's been open or whether you are opening your own place, that you firmly, at least in the beginning, have some core values and thoughts that, like, no matter what, this is what we're going to do. Now, if you open a, if you try and open a French restaurant and you're in a location that you can't get out of and that French restaurant doesn't work and you're like, well, maybe we need to do burgers and fries and onion rings, well, you might change the, 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 the you know, the concept. But your core values of how you want to run a business are going to be the same, whether they're fine dining or not, you know, where you care about food, you care about guests, you care about your employees, those things don't change. And if those things spill, those things are going to spill over to your guests, they're going to see that whether you're serving fine dining French food or burgers and onion rings in cold Lone Star, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Brian, so would you go as far to say, if I came to you and said, listen, I want to do what you're doing, I found a place, and I want to kind of follow in your footsteps, would you go as far to say, well, among your first orders of business, I want you to put your core value statement down on paper?
0: Yeah, absolutely. 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 Because at some point, you're going to be standing in front of a group of people. It could be the people that It, you know, it could be the people that you're trying to get a lease from. It could be the people that you're going to be trying to get money from. It could be for a chef who knows how to cook the food that you don't know how to cook, or maybe a general manager who's going to run the business because you don't know how to do that because you're a chef who knows how to make, you know, lasagna Mm -hmm. Um, or You're going to be standing in front of your staff, who's going to be made up of front of the house people and back of the house people. And you're going to say, hi, my name is Brian. And I want to tell you about what we're going to do here and how we got here. It's all a story, you know, it's all a story. So I I think that is so incredibly important. And that's one of the first steps to building a culture.
1: It's it's all a story.
0: It it really is. I mean, it, it, Look, like I don't, you know, 10 years ago, yeah, I probably knew this. You know, 20 years ago, I may have known it. 30 years ago, psh, I didn't know it, you know. 30 years ago I wasn't married. You know, 30 years ago I was working by shift and you know, looking for fun, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I think I think with, you know, it, it, with 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 age comes wisdom, you know, and you do this enough, it's like any, you know, it's like any business, you know. Um I, I'm sure, you know, we, we just happen to be restaurant guys. So we're talking about restaurant stuff. I'm, um, you know, that whatever business you're in, you know, I'm sure there's like 30 Radio Shack guys who, you know, can sit around and tell you, you know, what what it takes to run a Radio Shack for all those years they did it and what what life is like in electronics. But at some point, They're all telling a story about how they got there and, and, you know, what, what, how, why they were passionate about, you know, televisions, you know, or, or stereo equipment. We just happen to be passionate about this crazy restaurant business that we're in.
2: In your marketing, on your menu, in your decor, are you trying to tell that story to your customers in some way?
0: Absolutely. Again, I've just been so lucky to be around those kind of people my whole life who the walls tell a story the music tells a story the signs tell a story the menu tells a story i mean you know i I just, I think that's so important, you know, the, the uniforms that you're, you know, if, if they're uniforms, some places have uniforms, some places don't have uniforms, you know, there's like, you know, when I'm, when I'm at work, I'm wearing Levi's, you know, I'm, Mm -hmm. You know, I've got like I came here today afterwards. I got my Levi shirt on. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I've got it now when I'm when I'm behind the line. I have my Alamo Springs, you know, Dickie shirt on and a hat on. You know, And it's a, with my name on it. I think all of that stuff means stuff to people and, and they see it. You know, we got cactuses outside, you know. Uh, yeah. Whatever your place is, you I mean, you don't want to overbrand it. You know, there are plenty of places we've all been in that, like, you know, it just hits you. You know, I don't think you want to hit people over the head. I think it should be subtle, but I, I definitely think that people should see what you're doing with all of that kind of stuff. I think it's part of the story that you're trying to build.
2: Well, Chris, is is not the difference between a restaurant and a concept, and your experience as a uh, consultant?
1: You know, it, it really is. It's it's like uh, it's it's what we learned. Um, You know, before talking with some people where they'll say uh, things like say, you know, good food can make a restaurant, but good food by itself doesn't make a successful concept, you know, and so. I think that's true. What we've just been listening to um, the idea of the core values and the consistency of telling the story and the commitment to excellence, which means always trying to find a way of making things better um, is a way of, of of making this concept successful. I really hope that's the takeaway that you listeners um, are are taking that, that Brian has done such a good job and Brian, thank you for this, and, and sharing how important the storytelling is. You don't want to rest on your laurels if you have a really well-known location. You do. You don't want to rest on your laurels just because you know that you've got a written up fantastic burger, because you do. Um, you got to go to work every day with the core value that we can make it better. Uh, people seem to follow you and want to be better. They make the food better. Um, they make the experiences better. So I, um, I, I just think that's what that's what this industry needs to be reminded of, and thank you so much for doing that today.
0: You are so welcome. And, and you know, the only other thing I want to say is, you know, we're cooking a burger to order. We don't always get it right, you know. And and you got to own it when you don't get it right sometimes too. And 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 I don't want to end our conversation on that, but I I, I also think it's it's important that you know that that you're going to make mistakes you're going to make mistakes with staffing you're going to make mistakes with customers you're going to make mistake with menu items you're going to make mistakes all the time but the way that you get to last at this is is to own the mistakes and fix them quickly and and that's the kind of stuff that that will allow you to have long-term success and remember this is a hard business i mean you know <laughs> you kind of want it you know what I mean? You gotta want this an awful lot. You know, I spend—I'm uh, at the beginning of of doing my own consulting. You know, Chris, you and I have talked about this forever, and and you know, for me, you know, I sit down with people, and and I think your number one responsibility is to try and talk about out of doing this. You know, <laughs> you know, like you know, be free. Listen, how much money you got? You know, I always tell people, how much money you got? They tell me and I say, "Look, here's here's what you need to do. You need to take that money, split it in half, light the first half on fire cuz that's gone forever, and then take the other half and go to all the your favorite restaurants and become the best regular customer there. You know? I mean like that's what you want to do. You want to be in the restaurant business, you know, you just want to be you just want to be the best and 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 you'd be and i i literally i think i've saved a lot of people and probably a lot of marriages you know by talking people out of it you know husbands who you know wives who are like well i threw this great dinner party for 20 people and all my friends say that i should open a restaurant and you got the husband looking at you like you know like please you know like tell her no and you know like or, or it's the other way, you know, you, you got some guy who was, you know, who's basically a good cook and has talked some dentist into, you know, giving him $100,000 and he thinks he's going to open up a restaurant and it's, it's all going to work out. Some of them do work out. And I think a lot of times you can tell, you know, when you're talking to those people, the people that it will. But, uh, but man, you know, this is a really, really hard business and you wear so many hats. Yeah. Um, you you got to want it. you got to really want it.
1: I think, uh, Barry, I think we need to schedule Brian back for an hour on the startup process so that, we, so that we can just talk about things you need to know if you're thinking about starting up.
0: Absolutely, man. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, listen, I, I think we should probably go have a few beers first before we record that and just tell all the war stories we probably can't tell.
2: You know, well, Brian, now you open yourself up to my writers uh, banging on your door uh, to interview you on different articles. So um, please accept my apologies in advance.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I love I love this. You know, I, I love doing this. I love doing this.
1: Well, you can tell you can tell that you love doing it. And that's why you've done it for so long. And that's why you're so successful now. So thanks again for taking the time tonight. We look forward to talking with you again more in the future. You've got so much knowledge to share. I hope everyone really took note of of your wisdom because there were so many really good jewels that would help anybody in any restaurant improve and just be better.
2: Awesome. I, I really enjoyed it, guys. Brian, thanks very much.
1: And Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll look forward to seeing you again real soon on another episode of Corner Booth. Thank you for joining us on The Corner Booth. We'll be back next Tuesday with
0: more inspiration, insights, and industry best practices to help you engage your team, delight your guests, and grow your business.